0: Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is Monday, February the 10th, the kickoff, the reboot of the Matt Bernier Show. Thank you so much if you're listening or you're watching. There's a number of ways that you can find this. Uh, YouTube, as kind of was the deal with the old show, you can find that every Monday or Tuesday, depending on when this is recorded. You can also find it in all the places that you listen to your podcasts, whether it's right over on the In The Money website or you listen on any of the feeds that we have, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or you know the gist anywhere else that you can find the pods. Uh, again, my name is Matt Burney, Or If you're new to this thing, thanks for coming along. Uh, I'm going to try to shake the rust off on the fly because it's been a minute since I've done one of these things. So uh, bear with me. The camera is new. I'm trying to get the levels and the microphone back. So if this week is a little bit on the a little bit on the, the kind of quirky side, just just roll with me here. I'm, I'm kind of ironing the ironing the creases out a little bit, trying to make this thing as uh, nice and tight as possible. Uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. I, before I dive into everything, first things first, got to give a, a tip of the cap to all the guys over at In The Money Media. Peter Thomas Fornatal, Jonathan Kinchin, Drew Coatney, uh, Craig Gorbanov, who you may remember that hearing... The name producer, Craig, in the past, he's helping those boys out some as well, and he's going to be helping out as far as the YouTube side of things are concerned here uh, and stripping the audio and uploading it as far as the podcast feeds are concerned. So uh, thanks to all those guys. This has been something that's been in the works for a little while now, and we talked about it a little bit on one of the more recent In the Money podcasts where, you know, uh, PTF and I have been going back and forth for for many, many months. Uh, it started really as soon as I, I was done at the racing form, Um, And then when everything kind of started with TVG and I'm dipping my toe into a number of different waters, I said, you know, I don't want to commit to something if I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And some of you actually listened to the the one or two videos that I produced uh, right when I was done with the racing form. And I enjoyed doing them, but I didn't want to keep doing it if I didn't know that I could sort of, if I could commit to doing it all the time well now that I think you know my schedule is going to look a little bit different here in 2020 uh, I don't have all the details lined up just yet but one thing I did feel comfortable with after talking with PTF and JK and all those boys for a while was this is definitely something I wanted to get back into and something i'm I'm confident and hopeful that we can kind of get shake the rust off and get it back to what it once was so I'm not expecting it to happen overnight but um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, as always, beneath the video player here on YouTube, or if you're listening to the podcast, uh, feel free to just tweet at me, at Bernie or underscore Matt, because I'm all ears. I want to know what your thoughts are. It's going to look a little bit different this show now than it did when I was at the Racing form because... I'm not going to be showing too many replays or anything like that. If you are watching on YouTube, it's basically just going to be kind of like a simulcast where I'm riffing here for a half hour, 45 minutes, uh, an hour, depending on what there is to talk about and how long this thing goes. Um, if you listen in the pod, you're really not going to miss much as far as visuals are concerned. So just think of it as two different ways where you can listen to this thing. If you want to look at this ugly mug, sure, it's up there on YouTube. But uh, it's just another way. I know that when I'm you know here at home or I'm on the road, you know, I don't always just go to the podcast situation. I don't always go right to Apple Podcasts. I'll throw something up on YouTube. I have my headphones on. I'm walking around the hotel room. I'm walking around the, the apartment here, whatever the case may be. So, um, But I am all ears with anything that you guys want to listen to, you want to hear more about Uh, let me know. As always, this is going to be predominantly a horse racing situation, a horse racing podcast, going back, looking at what happened the weekend prior or the weekends prior and looking ahead to what this could potentially mean going forward. Uh, But there is going to be a sports element to it. It'll be predominantly sports gambling related. Um, It won't be a giant piece because I know many of you, when I did put out my little survey uh, back with the old show, uh, you know, some people enjoyed the football stuff, some people didn't. Um, I didn't dive too much into other aspects this time around. I'm probably going to a little bit more. I'm not saying it's going to be a giant portion of the show, but it'll definitely be maybe the final five to ten minutes of whatever the case may be this week. You're going to get off late. There's not going to be any other kind of sports talk. Uh, everyone has, you know, the Mookie Betts trade for the Dodgers. It's you know, ad nauseum. We know what happened there and and the, the things that the different machinations of the trade and ultimately what happened here the other day. So. We're going to just focus on the racing because I feel like I need to get back into the swing of things as far as the racing is concerned as well. Uh, Let's start off right at the top. Uh, The National Horse Players Championship happened this past weekend. Uh, Tip of the cap to Thomas Goldsmith from Montgomery, California, $800,000 richer. Uh, Good, well, until the government gets his piece, but neither here nor there. Uh congrats to Thomas, I believe his total was up over 400 points, which is a massive number. I, I want to say I read it was the second largest total in NHC history just behind Ray arsenault's uh winning number from a couple of years ago. And and Ray actually made a big move on Sunday, I believe. I think he got into the top 10. So, uh but credit where credit is due and tip of the cap to Thomas Goldsmith, the winner of the National Horse Players Championship. And this is a little bit of this will be the only real rant of this entire thing. Number of people. The horse racing Twitter is as good as it is boy, it's a it's a real pain in the rear end when you just see nothing but complaining. Complaining, complaining, complaining. We all get it. We all have complaints. We all know that there are issues and I'm not saying just to totally, you know, ignore things that go on, but when all we do is complain, kind of the boy who cried wolf, isn't it? Kind of loses a little bit of its juice. Where you're sitting there saying if you complain about everything, It falls on deaf ears as opposed to sitting back and really complaining about the big pieces. Again, I'm not suggesting there aren't issues to go around, but, you know, let's be a little bit more tactful as far as what we're complaining about and when we're complaining about it as opposed to just complaining about everything under the sun. Rant over. Let's go on to some racing now. Uh, This is a, a situation where it's this time of year. I did this with all the other podcasts in the past. Gonna do it again. Everyone enjoys talking about the three-year-olds and when there are big other races for the older horses, we'll definitely dive into those, but uh this one, I think just to kick things off, it'll be nice to look back at the two big preps from this past weekend as far as the derby is concerned and then briefly touch on the three races that I spoke about with the boys last week. I can dive dive into it a little bit more because I know we were on a time frame or time constraint in that last run. So Let's start off with the San Vicente, and I know a lot of people will look at the San Vicente, and I spoke about it. I was on with Sam Spear, his radio show up in Northern California on Sunday morning. The the San Vicente, it's seven-eighths of a mile. I get it, and there aren't derby points on the line, but... This has historically been a little bit of a jumping off point for campaigns, and I'm sure the connections have stormed the court. That's how they're going to view this year's San Vicente. This is a means to an end, kind of shake the rust off, get him ready to go for races that are going to be longer a distance and perhaps shipping out of town. But I mean, you only have to go a few years back where we had Nyquist and Exaggerator both run in the San Vicente. Nyquist comes back, he wins the Florida Derby, he goes on and wins the Kentucky Derby, and then Exaggerator, we know he went on ultimately win the Preakness so this is obviously and I believe actually he also won the Haskell that year in a sloppy mess but the point is this race just because it's a seven furlong race doesn't mean that there are not going to be horses to keep an eye on coming out of this as far as derby preps are concerned and storm the court obviously the two-year-old champion from 2019 and the Breeders Cup Juvenile Champion uh, he was the one of the big names but the big name was Nadal and Nadal didn't disappoint The the interesting thing for me, yes, he only won by a length or whatever the final margin it ended up being three quarters of a length beneath Joao Rosario. Bet down to odds of one to five. This horse earned this race. There's no two ways around it, especially when you see how slow the main track at Santa Anita has been playing. Uh, A number of people have pointed this out on social media, and really to kind of, I know it's not a perfect comparison, but when you're talking about Speed figures and, and how figures come about. For what it's worth, if you haven't seen it already, Nadal earned a 91, Genobly earned a 90. Buyer speed figure. The timeform U.S. ratings had not been released by the time I started recording this, so uh, that'll be something that maybe we can follow up on later on. With speed figures, uh, again, just kind of the the notes version of it. There are there's a track variant that is sort of produced based on the times of the races that are run on any given day. Obviously, you need to separate two-turn races from shorter races, turf from dirt, X, Y, and Z. The only other one turn dirt race on the card on Sunday at Santa Anita uh, was race number two. It was a maiden claiming race and they went six and a half furlongs as opposed to seven furlongs. Now, according to, uh, you can go on Daily Racing Forms website on drf.com and they will show you in the chart section what the track variant was as far as the buyers are concerned. Uh, the the variant seemed to be the same. Granted, one race was considerably earlier than the other one, but for the most part, the point is the track, they don't believe anyway, the buyer associates that it changed too much. Um, For what it's worth, again, keep in mind what we're dealing with as far as the overall level of competition is concerned, the Maiden Claimers for a half mile went 10 lengths slower, and for the three quarters of a mile point, they were 15 lengths slower. So again, you're dealing with an entirely different sort of realm of animal, but the the point is the 91 buyer and the 90 buyer for Ginobili, I think they're pretty darn close, and maybe if you want to say they could be a little bit faster, I'm sure that'll be something that people can look at in time. Uh, but Nadal's 98 that he earned in his career debut was strong. The 91 that he just earned here on Sunday afternoon. I mean, they're two of the the better races that you'll see from a three-year-old this time of year, especially for his first two lifetime starts. And perhaps some people want to look at it and go, well, where did Ginobili's race come from? Keep in mind, Ginobili, his run, when he broke his maiden four starts back at Del Mar, he earned an 83 buyer and he looked really good doing it. Then they came back and ran him in the Del Mar Futurity. He was caught up in that wicked hot pace, fell apart. Don't really want to hold that race against him. Difficult to get a a fast figure when the clock ended up stopping as slowly as it did. And then the run following that was on turf. And again, just draw a line through that long layoff comes back in a spot like this. Those two hooked up and they threw it down. The fractions at 21 and 4, 44 for a half mile. They stopped the clock in 22 and 2 for seven eighths of a mile with Nadal he looks like he's just a he's a brick, you know what house. He just looks like a monster out there. My only concern or my only thought going forward, and for what it's worth, it sounds like the rebel is going to be the next stop down at Oakland Park for Nadal. It'll be his first start going two turns, first time shipping out of town, first time trying to get some derby points. I I, I would be I'll be curious to see how the top two finishers exit this race because they threw it down, and when you consider this was Nadal's first time against winners. First time going out this far, doing a few different things. And he had to work every step of the way down on the inside, kind of doing the dirty work. And then with Ginobili coming off such a long layoff, how much does this take out of those two horses for their next race? I'm not suggesting it's going to just completely destroy them. But I think you have to be cognizant of these sort of things. Conversely, you take a look at the third and fourth place finishers fast enough in Storm the Court. Storm the Court is the the main one that we want to discuss. He earned an 86 buyer in his return. I thought this was a fine effort. He never really looked like he was going to threaten. I thought Flavian Pratt did the right thing down the backside. When you saw the three horses line up on the front, Storm the Court actually broke on top. It broke very alertly but when you see them getting into a crazy duel, they've got their eye on bigger prizes. We don't need to win the San Vicente. Let's just get some good fitness out of this race and move forward. I think that's exactly what they got. He came with a little bit of a run at the end. Uh, I think the connections have to be pleased with this. The one thing I will say about Storm the Court, he still needs to prove that he is as effective sitting off of the pace as he is when he's out there dictating things. We saw that in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile he was forwardly placed. When he broke his maiden, he was forwardly placed. When he's coming from off of it, the you know remains to be seen what we're going to get from him but i i he needs to still prove to me anyway that he's as effective off the pace as he is when he's out there cutting out the fractions as far as fast enough is concerned i think he's a really talented horse um some of you you know it's, it's been a while but you can roll your eyes all you want he was extremely early with the lead changes and those of you that that didn't listen to the old podcast and maybe you're just coming aboard now i'm a big proponent and believer in lead changes and when you do things professionally typically it it not only is it good for longevity but it's the most efficient way to do things it's no different than when you see a quarterback who you know if you have perfect mechanics like a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees and you kind of juxtapose that to someone like uh, Vince Young if you remember him when he was playing at Texas and then in Tennessee in the NFL where he's thrown from way out here as opposed to, you know, uh, more sort of, let's say, traditional, perfect mechanics. Think of a baseball pitcher. You know, somebody's got beautiful mechanics, uh, you know, offhand. I guess you want to look like a, like a Garrett Cole or someone like that, compared to somebody who is, you know, kind of a sidewinder or whatever the case may be. You know, the arm, uh, or even physically, uh, that's getting into the weeds. Tim Lincecum's mechanics were crazy, but he was also a little, little guy as far as his build was concerned to be thrown that way. Another story for another day. Point is, fast enough was extremely early with the lead change and typically that's not something that I am too high on too keen on uh, Dan Ilman my buddy told me about that years and years ago he said as important as a late lead change is an early one may be even more important more of a red flag because typically that that's not you know, you can call it being goofy if you do it a little bit late. Maybe you're a little immature. You do it early. That That's usually a bit of a red flag coming around the corner. So uh, something to keep an eye on, but he's definitely a talented horse. Is fast enough. Uh, so Nadal, Ginobili, I think Ginobili, I put him already in my stable watch. I want to see where he comes back. I think he could be a really nice sprinter this year. Uh, Nadal, obviously, look, he's no secret at this point. We'll find out what we get from him in a few weeks when they go down to Oklahoma Park. Now let's move to Tampa for the Sam F. Davis. Now, this, again, was kind of a hot race that a lot of people were discussing, given the circumstances, the way everything played out. Uh, Independence Hall goes off as your three to five favorite. He loses. He finishes second to Solo Volante. Solo Volante is a talented racehorse. I think, like, through and through, I think he's a talented racehorse for Pat Biancon. Uh, he is as effective on turf as he is on dirt, and that, that's, you know, that that's saying something. That's, you know, you at least have plenty of options going forward if for some reason you think... He won't end up being as effective on dirt or if just the way the calendar lays out, you know, not all dirt horses can entertain the idea of running in a race like the Belmont Derby, whereas a horse like Sola you all options are open. It's a million dollar race. If you don't want to pass on it, don't pass on it. So I'm not suggesting that he'll end up in a spot like that, but the point is he can run on anything, whereas a a purely dirt horse or a purely turf horse, you're you're basically just looking at those paths. Uh, Tolo Vellante, yes, he did get an unbelievable pace set up. The the folks over at Timeform US, they had the half mile split color-coded red. That, to me, was the breaking point for Independence Hall. It's not so much that they went unbelievably fast throughout. They did go very, very quick, but it was that second interior fraction, that second quarter, for what it's worth, 23 seconds flat for the second quarter for Independence Hall, and I'm not including the other two horses that were out there just ahead of him cutting out the fractions. Frankly, I don't think they're as talented. I'm only going to talk about the top two runners in this race. I look at Sola Volante and say, yes, great setup. Yes, doesn't have a lot of early foot. When you take a look and you break down the incremental splits, that uh, solo Volante's opening quarter was twenty five forty seven, as opposed to the 23-77 th- uh, of Independence Hall. The second splits, twenty three seventy one for solo Volante. So still, you know, coming from well off of it as opposed to the 23 flat, 11 for Independence Hall, that's when things kind of turn on their head. And then you see Solo Vellante cranks it up 22.96, 30.47 for his final stretch, as opposed to the 24.91, 31.24 for Independence Hall. So yes, a lot of this race was about race shape. And ultimately, Independence Hall, he probably was worse for the wear, being as close to the pace as he was. Having said that, I don't think it was a bad race from him. And I know a lot of people have brought up, you know, maybe he is a derby horse, maybe he's not. To me, it's entirely too early to make a call like that because it'd be one thing if he completely folded like the top two runners did. He didn't. He was still in with some fight. And yes, those fractions, they were fast, but they are not outrageously fast. I think he can build on this. This is a horse that I'll be very curious to see what we get in his next start, wherever that may be. I haven't read anything just yet. Uh, if any of you know, let me know in the comment section beneath the YouTube player or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. As far as Zola Volante is concerned, I I don't, distance isn't going to be an issue for him. Talent is not an issue with a horse like this though, whether it's turf or dirt, and you can get away with a little bit more on grass as opposed to the main track, always going to be at the mercy of pace and trip. So we'll see how things shake out going forward for him in a spot like that. Uh, Ultimately though, I think both of those top two runners coming out of the Sam F. Davis, I think they're both very, very talented before. And again, this is me figuring things out before I go on. And we briefly talk about the three races from the weekend prior camera says my battery's a little bit low. We have to have a little cut here. We'll come right back. We'll talk about those three races, and we'll button up a few other things. The Risen Star coming up this weekend along with the Southwest Stakes. This upcoming weekend down in Louisiana at the fairgrounds, they've split up the Risen Star Stakes into split divisions. So you're going to have, I think all told, 23 horses are going to be going forward in two different divisions. And obviously, these are the 50-point derby preps now. So I think it's interesting to me. It feels like it's a shift in sort of the, the mentality Not maybe, not necessarily a a full-blown shift in the derby prep mentality, but the idea that if we can get our points early and then plan accordingly late, maybe that's a better idea or a better plan than just trying to sort of, let's just rush in, hope that we get enough in that final round, 100 derby point preps, and then be able to qualify for the Kentucky Derby and go on from there. Maybe you try to procure your 50 points this time around or your 20 if you were to run second and then move on from there. And at least at that point, if you have a good enough base, You can look at it and say, you know what, we don't need to be 100% tight screws down for those final preps leading into the derby we just need to get a piece of this thing for that final round of a prep leading into the derby so we can peak the first Saturday in May so that's happening down at the fairgrounds on Saturday you've got the El Camino Real Derby up at Golden Gate no it doesn't offer 50 points it's only 10 for the winner and again it's you know it's a derby prep but realistically how many horses genuinely come out of the race because it is run on tapita you get occasionally some wild results and those horses typically don't really matter as far as the derby Trail is concerned when it's all said and done, but nonetheless, there are points available. 10 go to the winner in a spot like that. And then on Monday, down at Oaklawn, you'll have the Southwest Stakes. And that again is if we're bumping up as far as the point preps are concerned. So uh, we'll see what we get as far as that race is concerned. I don't know that that one is a 50. I have to double check it. I have computer, I have technology. Let's see what we got here. Uh, the Southwest Stakes is going to be a 10 point prep. So it's in the same vein as the El Camino Real Derby. Point is, there are points available, but it's not the giant sort of ramifications that we're going to see with the Risen Star. This is when things really ramp up, those 50-point preps. uh, And that makes sense, because Oaklawn's first 50-point prep, and only one, will be the Rebel before we lead into the Arkansas Derby. So those are things to keep an eye on this upcoming weekend, as far as derby preps are concerned. Let me know about horses that you think are interesting for the three-year-old males. Let me know about Oaks fillies that you think you got an eye on, whether it's a horse like Taraz or we saw the filly up in New York for Bill Mott last weekend. She looked good. Number of interesting runners all across the country. Let me know beneath the YouTube player or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And again, you can follow me over there. You can find this podcast in many different forms, whether it's YouTube or any of the other ways that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, I fly out to L.A. on Wednesday. I'll be on the morning line on TVG from Thursday through Sunday. Then I'll come home for a couple weeks, and I won't go back out west for, I think, until the first or second week in March. I gotta look at the calendar, but... This upcoming week, Thursday through Sunday, I'll be on the morning line on TVG. If you are so inclined, again, thank you to everybody involved with this thing, getting it up off the ground. Thank you for bearing with me and us for this first little run here while we're trying to, again, figure out the best way to make things work and streamlining things and all that sort of jazz. But definitely a thumbs up and a tip of the cap to PTF, to JK, to everybody over at In the Money, uh, producer Craig for working with me here about trying to get things sort of expedited and work on upload speeds and all this other stuff. So again, uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of this year. I think it should be a good time. Again, really, this thing doesn't mean anything unless you guys let me know what you want to hear more of, less of, whatever the case may be, knowing that this has a little bit of a different look than the old show did. Um, It's just always going to be sort of evolving. So all input is welcome, whether it's good or bad criticism is warranted here and welcomed looking forward to hearing what all of you have to say so uh, thank you for listening and watching this first reboot of the matt bernier show and guess what we'll still use that old sign off until next monday or tuesday depending on how the tech works hopefully it's monday best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you play